Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, happy last day of May. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm Pei Chen here with you every Sunday evening from 8 until 9. Um, and if you uh, miss a show and you want to catch up on the podcast, you can always do that online on my website, PeiChen.com. You can also find the podcast in the iTunes store. Um, so this weekend, I feel like was, uh, well, rainy, wet, and also all about the peacock. I believe the peacock has is still somewhere on the loose, but no one is, seems to be too concerned about this. I just love the way that our city kind of like freezes and, and drops everything else when like there's animals on the loose. It doesn't even have to be in our city necessarily, but like think about the llamas. When the llamas are on the loose, that was like crazy international media attention. And I was having this sort of like back and forth on Twitter with people the other, not last night, the night before. And uh, we're just trying to kind of remember all the the animal stories that have gripped the city or the country. Like when that guy had the uh, black bear in his uh, backyard out in BC, but I apparently, I think somewhere in Newmarket over the weekend, uh, someone spotted a bear in their backyard again. Um, but there hasn't been as much attention about it because I think the peacock is still number one in people's minds. Uh, just want to let you know, too, that next Sunday, June 7th, is Toronto Taste. News Talk 1010 is a uh, proud supporter of this fundraiser. It's uh, an event for Second Harvest. And I hope you'll tune in next Sunday for the extended show. I'll be live from the event at Coors Key that's down on the waterfront for the event. And we'll be broadcasting from 7 until 9 p.m. And with me will be Zane Kaplansky. We'll also have a couple of special guests stars, some of the great chefs who are down at the event, and a couple of uh, like Food Network stars like John Catucci and Bob Bloomer, uh, Roger Mooking. Uh, they'll be there as well, so we'll be chatting with them. It's going to be a really fun, uh, entertaining show and still interactive. We'll be live, so of course you can always text in at 71010, as you can do Anytime during the show. Um, last week, I talked to the communications director for Second Harvest. Now, they're a great organization that rescues food. And I really like that term. So it's food that might otherwise be thrown out. So from grocery stores, restaurants, let's say big corporate events um, where, you know, they just have this food left over and it's perishable. They don't have anywhere to put it or take it. So it usually gets thrown out. So Second Harvest, they've got a couple of refrigerated trucks. They go around to the city and they take this food that would be thrown out and they are managed to coordinate it with different agencies um, and community groups. And they're able to use that food to feed people in need. And the number that uh, we threw out last week is staggering. We throw out $31 billion worth of food each year. That is shocking to me that all of that food is being dumped in the garbage. And we we often hear about, um, you know, the the huge gap that's growing between the haves and the have-nots, and that uh, so much is available for people, but it's just getting it to them in a timely way because you know, it's fresh food, it's going to go bad. It's also transportation costs. So that's what Second Harvest does. They try to rescue as much food as they can to deliver meals. Um, to, you know, it might be after school programs, it could be breakfast programs at schools, it could be different agencies that are supporting uh, those who are needy or ill or, you know, in between different situations in their life. Um, so Toronto Taste, the event next weekend, is one of their biggest fundraisers. I really count on this to to um, 
bring in a bulk of the money that they use for the year. And it will include 50 of Toronto's top chefs who will be there cooking. So it's your chance to mix and mingle with them and also with a lot of the other uh, like Food Network stars I had mentioned. TorontoTaste.ca is the website if you want to pick up tickets. Uh, and coming up in about 25 minutes, I'll talk to Chef Mark McEwen about his involvement with Toronto Taste. He's actually been supporting them for 25 years. So Toronto Taste is celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. So it's a big deal. And we'll chat with... Um, Chef McEwen about how the event has changed over the last quarter century because I'm sure it has. Um, I'd also love for you to text in 71010. Tell me about the most awkward conversation you may have had with your parents or perhaps if you are a parent, tell me the subject of the most awkward conversation you've had to have with your kids. 71010 is the text. Uh, I'll uh, read some out if they come in and they're safe to read out. Um, a few days ago, I posted something kind of kind of urgently on social media. It's so like on Facebook and Twitter. And I received a couple of curious comments because I didn't fully explain why I was asking for this. So I, I posted that I needed to have a couple of lines in English translated to Mandarin Chinese. I didn't say what it was for because it just, I didn't really want to get into it, um, but it was actually it was for an audition. So I do a little bit of acting here and there. And what had to happen uh, in this audition was I had to deliver the lines in English and then I had to do the same lines in Mandarin. And I grew up with my parents speaking Mandarin to my brother and I. Uh, I speak to them in English. So I understand it fairly well, but to translate it, it's sort of a different skill. Um, and the the topic, the things I had to have translated wasn't really stuff I grew up with at home, like, you know, do your homework, go to bed, don't hit your brother, like those sorts of conversational um, phrases that I was used to hearing in another language. So you might, you know, perhaps some of you relate to this if your parents are immigrants, but you grew up in Canada and you kind of translate things in your head very quickly if your parents speak to you in their native tongue, but you translated it into English. But then if somebody asked you to translate something and handed you a piece of paper, that might be a little bit different. So um, the, the thing was, the lines that I needed to have translated uh, were very kind of young and hip and a bit slang. So it had to deal, deal with teens and like sex and hooking up and, you know, modern words Again, not words I grew up with in my household with my parents. So uh, I ended up calling my mom, not for her to translate it because I knew I could not explain what hooking up meant to my mom. I could, there's no way I would ever be able to figure this out. But she has uh, friends who have university age students. So they are perfectly fluent in Mandarin and English. So I said to my mom, I'm going to email you. Um, a few lines. Can you please send it to one of the kids? She also knows a lot of international students um, in Halifax. So, you know, they would understand this language. They would be able to translate this for me really, really easily. So I said, can you send it to, to one of the kids and, and let me know? So a few hours later, I call her back to make sure she received my email. She said she did. And I said, well, are you going to send it to one of the university students that you know? She goes, oh, no, no, no. I know, you know, what I did is she sent it to her friend, who is a very, very old family friend that we grew up with. Her friend is um, 75. And her friend was at Chinese Bible study. So what she was going to do, she like, my mom was like reassuring me. She's like, don't worry. I got your English words and I sent it to Lynn and her English is pretty good. But after Bible study is over, she's going to get the minister to translate it for you because his English is really good. 
And I just froze. I was like horrified because I know my mom would have opened my email, but not remotely understood the words on her screen and just thought like, oh, all right, I'll just pass this along. So anyway, I never did get a translation from this minister. Um, so then I was like on the phone with my mom and I was like, OK, I, I kind of need to figure out how to say this um, in another language. And I've never I grew up in a fairly conservative, culturally conservative household. My parents did not have the sex talk with my brother and I. We learned about that in sex ed in school. Um, they didn't have those sorts of grown up conversations, which I think are very important. So here I am on the phone. I'm walking down King Street in the middle of rush hour with my mom. I'm going, Mom, Mom, how do you say have sex in Mandarin? How do you say it? And then she's like, do you mean touching? And I'm like, no, mom, like having sex, like making babies. How, how do you say having sex? And I'm screaming this on the phone as I'm walking through crowds of people trying to get home. And, uh, and then I'm repeating it over and over and trying to get the tone right. And it turns out um, the, the term for having sex in Mandarin is actually very similar to the word for banana. Coincidence? I think not. Those Chinese, so crafty with their words. Uh, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, you can always find me there at Pei Chen for both Twitter and Instagram. I posted a beautiful photo last night. It's not mine. It, it my my friend made the most gorgeous black forest birthday cake for a friend of mine. And uh, and Benita's cake is so stunning that I just if you're on Twitter or Instagram, go find it. It's a, it's a beautiful photo, and I'm always. Uh, happy to find delicious things uh, all over the city. Uh, quick reminder, you still have a chance to win a $200 gift card to the uh, Women's Boutique Girl Friday, which is on Queen Street West. You can do that by getting onto my website, paychen.com, and clicking on blogs. You'll find the details there. Uh, your chance to win uh, some new clothes, which is always nice, right? And coming up after the break, do you have a pet? Would you do what? Ever you could to keep them healthy and happy. Well, I'll chat with a vet to find out what you can do. Also, we'll talk to her about uh, some of the strange things she's had to remove from pets. And let this be uh, a learning and teaching moment for you. Also, text in. I'm curious to know what you think. Um, I put this on social media as well. You can text in at 71010. People are sort of polarized on this. Do you think homeless people should have pets? Do you think they should be allowed to have pets if, you know, they presumably have trouble keeping a roof over their own heads, keeping themselves fed? Should they have a pet in their care. Let me know at 71010. I'll fill you in after the break. You're listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. This is the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Do you know what's best for your pet? I mean, really? Do you know what's best for your pet? Joining me is the founder and director of Community Veterinary Outreach is Michelle Lim. Hi, Michelle. Hi. So in all your years of work, you've obviously seen some very surprising things, I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) So uh, let's talk, let's, I guess, start with some of the basics. What are some things that we should um, definitely not feed our pets that people still seem to be giving them and, and not, and I guess we should narrow this down and be specific. I guess we're talking about dogs or dogs and cats. Sure. 
Well, like not all plants are good for your pet, even mm-hmm. though you're a vegetarian. Cats aren't vegetarians, for example. Right. They're carnivores and need meat. Um, so trying to make a cat into a vegetarian is not usually a good idea. And then, uh, yeah, common things would be the things that we eat, like Easter just passed, and uh, there's often an Easter egg hunt. And uh, sometimes dogs and cats like to do the hunt with you, and that's not good for your pet. So those are a few things that uh, can can be harmful. Uh, I feel, see, this is the thing. When I grew up, um, I grew up with pets. All, like, we always had dogs, and uh, this was before people, like, really treated their dogs like um, like a child. Like we didn't have clothes for our dogs and, and we didn't have little carriers and things like that. So we oftentimes found that the dogs didn't like the dry food. So my parents would feed them leftovers. So our dogs often ate human food, which I'm hearing it more and more isn't really great for them because of just some of the ingredients that are in there. Well, human food's fine. The ingredients, it's really about making it balanced. So that's really the challenge is that um, dogs and cats have very specific nutritional needs that are very different from humans. And a lot of the times if we're cooking their food for them and not using nutritional supplements like vitamins and minerals and balancing the, nu- the nutrients appropriately, they can get ill from um, just kind of these handmade foods that aren't, aren't formulated or designed or uh, prepared by a nutritionist. Now, what are some of the strangest things you've seen um, pets eat? Well, they it's interesting. There is a, on, online from a pet insurance company a really long list of interesting things that they've seen um, claimed for insurance, and those things like light bulbs and jellyfish. Really? <laughs> light bulbs? I don't feel like you would even yeah. want to take a second bite. Like after the first one, it's you'd amazing. be like, ouch. <laughs> like it can swallow a light bulb whole. Wow. Like a circus person. <laughs> Wow, it's impressive. <laughs> dog. But, you know, it's not an uncommon tale for veterinarians to take out some intimate items sometimes from dogs. Like what? Um, so, for example, brassieres or lingerie. Dogs eat bras? You know what? How uncomfortable. Will, some dogs will eat almost anything. That's and, true. Uh, yeah, they will eat a bra. And uh, I have colleagues who have unfortunately shown what the dog had eaten after they'd taken it out of the dog and owners that did not recognize that piece of lingerie. Oh, my gosh. The dog ate the evidence. <laughs> Which was probably a favor at the time. It's like, great, it's gone. The dog ate it. And that is one of those veterinary awkward moments where you just think, wow, maybe I shouldn't have shown them that. But usually they want to see what it is that made them so sick and what it is we're paying for to have them taken out. So, um, yeah, so those are some of the more uh, uncomfortable things that we have to uh, sometimes do. No, um, I've never had cats growing up. So, But my interaction with cats is that they don't eat everything the way a dog does. No, but they like things like string so tinsel Mm -hmm. yes and so we call that linear foreign objects and those types of things thread um get really uh caught up in their bowels and can make them really quite ill now what are the most common toxins i guess for our pets because these might be things that we don't we don't realize Yes, so we, um, common ones would be chocolate, for example, and mm-hmm. dark chocolate um, or baker's chocolate is a lot more harmful than milk chocolate. Um, plants, so lilies, for example, for cats are really toxic and can cause kidney failure. Um, grapes, for example, and dogs. Oh, my um, God, I used to give my dog grapes. I feel bad. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, and it's so dose dependent. So if you have a big dog, it yeah. could probably eat a handful of grapes and not show any problems. But if you have a little dog, um, it, you know, fewer grapes could be harmful for your pet. So it, a lot of it depends on weight and, mm-hmm. of course, um, the toxin itself and how, and how much of it they ate. Uh, what is most common for you to see as a vet when you have a sick animal brought in? Well, oftentimes we see that. It depends. You know, if they have GI problems, Mm -hmm. often they got into the garbage or they got some fettuccine Alfredo and they've eaten something that's really fatty um, and that they're not used to. And so often we'll get what we call garbage gut. And so um, their pancreas will sometimes have problems. Their their guts will have problems because they're not used to digesting so much fat, for example. Right. Um, Cats, we certainly see a lot of problems with their urinary tract. So among male cats, um, they can they can what we call block where they're unable to urinate and that can be quite fatal actually. Uh, so cats that aren't eating, cats that aren't peeing, those types of things are really serious and and they, if they haven't done either of those for a day. That's mm-hmm. a reason to take them to your vet for sure. Now, what should we know um, if our pets are sick or injured? Like I. You know, I'm sort of amazed by um, the options that are out there now because, like I said, when I was growing up as a kid, you know, 25 years ago, it was sort of like if your dog got sick, you took it to the vet, but sometimes the bill was so expensive that you just kind of waited it out. But now there seems to be, you know, there's physio, there's rehab, there's all sorts of options out there. Yes, and we have uh, some specialists coming to speak at our fundraiser starting Tuesday night. And for almost every specialist that you can think of in human medicine, Mm -hmm. there's probably one in veterinary medicine. So you're right, we have rehab specialists that help dogs who are older um, or dogs who are recovering from injury uh, recover better, quicker, and resume more normal activities. We have oncologists, so cancer specialists for dogs and cats, and protocols like chemotherapy and radiation uh, to treat cancers in pets. Um, We have internal medicine specialists and surgeons and reproduction specialists and ophthalmologists. So again, almost any uh, area of specialty we now have in veterinary medicine that matches human medicine. So tell me a bit about this um, this like speaker series that you just mentioned. Yeah, so we're hosting what's called Mini Vet School, and what that is is a four-week lecture series on Tuesday evenings from 7 till 9 at the Purina Pausway, and that are, is a, a series of lectures given by community veterinarians on various um, aspects of animal health. And some of the ones that we mentioned, like emergencies, uh, toxins, uh, cancer, and uh, rehab are going to be featured at these lecture series. And these talks are just for the general public. These are animal lovers. These are people who are breeders. We have a a reproduction specialist who's going to talk about what you need to know for neonatal kittens and puppies and how to ensure that they're healthy and thriving as puppies. And uh, it's for people who who just want to know more about their animal's health. That's great. And uh, people can, if they want, they can pay for all four like all four evenings, so once a week, or they can just go to one if they feel like that one speaks to them a little bit more. Where can they go for info? They can go to our website, www.vetoutreach.org, and that's all one word, and they can see the complete list of topics as well as speakers and their bios, as well as register online or pay at the door. Now, tell me about the work you do at um, the Vet Outreach. So we are uh, a group of, uh, we're we're a registered charity that Mm -hmm. provides pro bono preventive veterinary care for people who are experiencing homelessness or who are vulnerably housed. 
And what we do is not just provide the veterinary care that people um, who are marginalized can't get access to, but we also engage the people back in the health care and social services for themselves. So we actually uh, try to help both the person and the pet um, get back on their feet, um, connect them with health care services and social services, as well as make sure the animal's health is taken care of. You know, I, I put it out on social media and I asked, I asked people, you know, should homeless people have pets? Because I see that very often. I'll see some teenagers who are panhandling, uh, who live on the streets and they've got a dog or they've got a puppy. Um, I might see an older man, a homeless man, you know, with a dog as well. And I always feel sort of concerned about the, the pet's health, but I also understand that having a pet can really do a lot for someone psychologically. That's right. You know, I, I know a lot of people have that same concern as you do about the pet's health, and I've been doing this work for 13 years now and probably seen close to 10,000 animals through our outreach work, and I can tell you that their health and welfare for the most part is very good. Um, and if we kind of isolate the pet from the context and look at just the pet's body condition, hair coat, and their demeanor and behavior, they're actually thriving and doing very well. Um, and so one of the things that I always ask or when someone asks me, should homeless people have pets, my, my response is usually, well, should we have homeless people? Right. <laughs> so oftentimes they're focused on the animal, but what this really speaks to is a larger social issue around homelessness. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, uh, and I know that um, people can be very loyal to their pets and the pets extremely loyal as well to their owner. Absolutely. It's often a very uh, symbiotic, life-saving for both type of relationship. And these animals become um, their only companion, their only family, their best friend. And the owners will sacrifice almost anything for these pets and put the needs of their pets before themselves. In some interviews I did with street-involved youth, we found that street youth were uh, more likely to decrease their use of drugs or alcohol since they became a pet owner, avoid arrest since becoming a pet owner. Oh, interesting. These pets were described as giving them a reason to live and having saved their lives. So these pets have profound impacts on, like you said, the psychosocial um, health of the owner. Mm-hmm. But these owners also sacrifice very much in order to care for their pets. So, so you know, it's sorry, great. Um, it's great work that you do with the community veterinary outreach, um, and of course, this is what the money, I guess, goes towards. Um, Absolutely. And and so that you can continue the work that you're doing. Um, thank you so much, Michelle. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on the show, Kay. So, for people who want to find out more information about the mini vet school series, vetoutreach.org is the website. You can find all the info there. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Toronto Taste is one of the city's best food events, and it's taking place next Sunday, June 7th, down at Chorus Key, down by the uh, waterfront. I'll actually be broadcasting live from there, uh, 7 to 9 p.m., so two-hour show next Sunday. Hope you'll tune in. Uh, Hope to see you there as well. Tickets are still available. TorontoTaste.ca is where to go if you want to find out more info. Now, one of the chefs who's been supporting Toronto Taste uh, for 25 years is Chef Mark McEwen. Hi, Mark. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, and I'm really excited for next weekend. (laughs) I can't believe it's... uh... That we've been participating for 25 years. That's crazy. That number is astounding to me because I can only imagine. Um, well, I can only imagine how the event has changed over 25 years. 
Well, it's evolved. Uh, funny enough, it, 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 it's very consistent year on year. It's it's uh, a, a very nicely competitive situation mm-hmm. among chefs, um, where I think the clients really benefit. So you've you got chefs always going out and putting their best foot forward, and uh, always trying to be innovative. Now, when you um, I guess signed on to the first event twenty five years ago, what was that? What was that Toronto taste like? <laughs> Well, we, we, it was the top of the CN Tower. Oh, really? And oh, wow. Bonnie Stern was the uh, sort of the person in charge, and mm-hmm. uh, she called me and asked to participate, and we we started there. I think I think Bonnie was involved for three years at that point, and then passed the torch on to someone else. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's always been a one of these events where all the chefs go. Uh, it's very seldom that everybody's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for any other event throughout the year, so that's what makes it unique. And this is an event that um, I guess will you know fill in our listeners that it uh, raises money for Second Harvest, and Second Harvest, of course, being a great organization that rescues food that would otherwise be uh, thrown out or go to waste, and is able to deliver it to various organizations and groups um, who are able to make use of it and uh, and feed a lot of the hungry in the city. So I think it's a you know, there's a lot of charities that do great work, and I'm sure that you are asked to participate in uh, many events and many fundraisers. Why is this one important to you? Well, I've, I've, I've always said, you know, we're we're in the business of fine dining, and, and there's always uh, a bountiful amount of food in my world. And, and it's hard to, for me to believe that people in the city are, are going hungry. So I'm, on a very basic level that you're – you're doing something that that connects with people so so perfectly, and and the organization is is so effective in, in terms of how it uses its dollars. That I think 85 cents of every single dollar collected flows to people in need. So when 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 you find a charity that is that effective, and and that easy to understand, uh, how can you not be a part of it? And the uh, the tickets are $250 each, which I know, you know, when someone hears that, they go, oh, well, that sounds like a lot. But you get a tax receipt for half of the value. So you get a tax receipt for $125. Um, and the cost of the ticket, so the $250, will actually rescue and deliver food um, for the equivalent of 500 meals. And that number, to me, is staggering. No, it, it's quite amazing when you think about it. So... You, you participating in this event is highly effective at giving back, uh, and it really it hits people on a on a on a beautiful basic level that that they need um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and kids with single moms, elderly people, people that are just down and out. Um, it's important that we take care of these situations, and and, and, and it's a we're a big city, and and this can be forgotten very mm. easily, and it. it you need to remind yourself that this exists every day. Um, I was sort of tipped off that you might have some great stories about, uh, you know, the early years, the earlier events. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stories. Well, you know, there, there's always this competitive nature amongst chefs. So, yes. uh, you know, the last few years, it's it's been me and Rob Gentili from Buca mm-hmm. that have been jousting about what we're doing. And so, each and every year, all, all I really do is I go out there and I try to create a dish that is really tasty. And I, I tell my chefs that you have one bite to win the client, and that's what it is. Toronto Taste is a one-bite event. So it's that first bite, boom, it's either a winner or it's not. If you have to think about it too much, uh, 
to me, it's a bit of a loser for the day. So it's, it's always that bit of competition. Uh, you know, people like chefs like Mark Tewitt, you know, he brought bear last year. He, he, he also cured... brought beaver sausage, which I tried on air. He didn't tell me what it was after I tried it. <laughs> I know, and it was his. It was his, good. His sandwich was delicious last year, and I so I had a. I went back for like three helpings of bear sandwich with with Mark Tewitt. So, you know, each and every year we we have these stories, and it's fun. But it, it's a great day where chefs get together, and and it, it benefits an amazing cause. Uh, Second Harvest is just such a such an effective organization in terms of feeding people on a, on a grassroots level. So it's there. I'm, I'm very happy and, and proud to be a part of it. Can you uh, tell us or give us a hint as to what you have planned for next week? Well, well we're doing a, an appetizer from one, mm-hmm. my restaurant in Yorkville, and it's uh, sort of a, a, a Korean-Mexican mix-up on a plate. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Really, really tasty. It's like two bites, boom, in your face. It's gonna be gonna be fun. It'll be the kind of dish that people keep going back for. I think so. That's well. That's that's exactly what you want. You know, we get people back three and four times every year, and that's and when you have that, then you know you won, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you're. I guess they're calling you one of the original six, which is <laughs> quite that, quite I'm a fancy old. title. I'm that old, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there were. Uh, I guess there are six of you who have been participating in Toronto Taste over the 25 years, which is which is actually very impressive. Yeah, you know, well, well there's actually a, a, a small community of chefs that that we started out 25, 30 years ago. But they're all still there, and they all still are, are you know, tied to the event and 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 active in the city. So, uh, I have a hard time believing that it's 25 years. That's uh, really quite a measure, quite a measure. And uh, so the event has uh, 50 of Toronto's top chefs, and as you mentioned earlier, a lot of these events, the chefs aren't necessarily there. They can't be always at every event. But this is the one event where a lot of the chefs um, from these restaurants will make a point of actually being there in person. So it's a nice way for people who enjoy your food or enjoy the food of the other chefs to actually go down there and, and kind of rub shoulders with everyone. Well, that's the whole thing. I, I've only missed one year in 25 years. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be leaving early that morning to get back in the city and then make sure I'm there for the event. And I'll, I'll say hi to five, 600 people. You know, and, and have conversations. It, it's, it's a great event. It's a great way to connect with people. It's an amazing cause. And, uh, you know, I just hope to beat up the other chefs. We want, <laughs> we want the most popular dish, right? That's, is there a way that people keep score? Or is it just you kind of look around and you see, you know? Well, there's always this big whisper that, that goes on at the, uh, at the event. And, and you know if your dish is resonating when people are repeating it and people are coming up saying they've heard about it. So it's it's more a buzz in the crowd, and and you just listen for that buzz. So that's what we try to do each and every year. It's it's fun, you know. It's a little little game we play, but it's great cause. Great to be out with the chefs, and uh, amazing that that this charity has been around as long as it has, and mm-hmm. been as effective as it has. Uh, and and people are just not aware of of the fact that families go hungry in this city. Young yeah. kids go to school without eating. Mm-hmm. Elderly people don't have food. People on the street don't have food uh, because I never have to worry about where a meal comes from. So this is this is a very easy connection for me to 
to make, and, and I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of it, and it's, it's just a, an amazing cause. Well, I look forward to seeing you uh, next Sunday and to trying this delicious two-bite wonder that you're creating. <laughs> yeah, Korean, Korean, Mexican. So, well, you know what? Both uh, those cuisines have really great <laughs> flavors, so I'm just interested to know how you're going to you know, mix them together. So That'll be fun. Well, I look forward to seeing you at the booth. All right. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Great day. Bye-bye. That's Chef Mark McEwen. And again, if you want to find out uh, more about the event uh, or buy tickets, you can go to the website. It's torontotaste.ca. You can also find a link to Second Harvest there. And uh, there are ways, like if you can't go to the event, um, they do other, uh, there's other forms of fundraising, but you can also donate money. You can also donate food. So when I was speaking to their communications director last weekend, she was mentioning that like, let you, maybe you work for uh, a company that is having a huge barbecue or a large event or you work at a venue that, you know, oftentimes has food that gets thrown out. You can connect with them so that you can figure out a way to donate the food and have it picked up or have it dropped off so that it doesn't go to waste and that it can be put to good use and it can go to fill some hungry bellies. And again, it's a broad range of people that they help. So it's, you know, breakfast programs for kids who don't, you know, have enough food to eat at home. It's for the elderly. Sometimes it's just um, agencies that uh, support people that are in transition, uh, people who are escaping abuse at home, domestic abuse. So, you know, there are, there's a lot of need for this food. It's just trying to keep it from going to waste. So torontotaste.ca. And again, uh, next weekend, the show will start one hour earlier. I'll be broadcasting live starting at 7 p.m. on location at Chorus Key from Toronto Taste. If you are going to the event, I would love it if you would stop by and say hello. Uh, Zane Kaplansky, of course, from Kaplansky's Deli. He will be co-hosting with me and we'll have uh, a great list of really fun guests. So I would love to, to see you there if you could come down. Um, coming up after the break, we're going to uh, talk to Vinny White. He's going to pop in. And um, I'm going to tell you a story about a high school valedictorian in the States who wanted to come out during his graduation speech, but he's been told, no, he cannot come out during his speech. I'm wondering what you, uh, how you feel about this. You can text me at 71010. Should he be able to? Because it's his speech. It's should be free speech. You should be able to say what he wants. And this is a big moment for him. Uh, and also paychen.com is the website if you want to find out more. We're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to the Paychen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Just a reminder that next weekend, the show will start an hour early. Uh, so it will be from 7 until 9 p.m. I'll be broadcasting live from Toronto Taste down at Chorus Key uh, with Zane Kaplansky. And that means that Vinny White will be pretty lonely without me. No, we can pretty much by. verify that right no, now. No, I'll be fine, actually. No, probably you won't. You'll I'll be probably sad. be better off. You'll be kind of sad that... No, again, I think I'll be Stuff fine. I talk about doesn't carry on into your show. What, like, and become last your week? show. Yeah. It was also... It wasn't last week. It was the week before. Oh, was it? Yeah, that you're talking about the farts in the jar? Yeah. The jarts. Sending people a fart in a jar. Yeah. That was two weeks ago. You started talking about it on your show. And, uh, and then it blew into an hour <laughs> for your show. Um, I came you, across you might... a story about this high school student in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about this. So uh, this young kid, he was chosen as class valedictorian. So that is the person who sort of speaks, does the graduation speak uh, speech for everyone on their behalf. Yes. And he also wanted to uh, share a personal 
secret during his valedictorian speech, which happens during graduation. He wanted to come out during his speech. So he wanted to tell everyone that he's gay. He felt very proud of it. He wanted um, to share that at that time during graduation. Right. But here's the thing. The school officials mm. vetted his speech, so he had to submit it in advance. And they said, mm, nope, you cannot include the part where you're going to come out. Right. That is personal and it's not appropriate. So you have to take that part out of your valedictorian speech. This guy, 18 years old, um, he said, no, I. it is very important to me. I want to come out to everyone. Also, his parents didn't know at this time that okay. he was going to, that he was gay. Right. Uh, but because of this sort of back and forth with school officials, they his parents also read his speech and they said, well, we didn't know about this before, but it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to us. Um, and they said, but we do feel maybe this is a personal thing, not fit for the graduation speech. So he stuck to his guns and he said, no, I am not going to take out the part where I announced everyone that I'm gay. Yeah. Um, and school officials were like, nope, sorry, we will not allow you to do the speech. Ha, what do you feel about this? You can text in at 7-10-10. Should he be allowed to have included in his graduation speech, if he wanted to, should he have been allowed to come out? So let me just confirm one detail, because I didn't grow up here. What is that speech supposed to do? It's usually like um, the speech where you sort of speak on behalf of the class, and it's like, you know, we've had a great journey together all these years. Going for It's kind of like a little pep talk, motivational mm. speech, and the experiences you've had together as a graduating class. Mm. Uh, so let's, if there've been any struggles in your town or in your school, you would probably mention that. Uh, and then it's sort of like wishing everyone well going forward. You and know, roughly we'll how always many people be, would be in this class? It's however, however big the high school is, right? What, so that graduating yeah. class what's that, is. What's that normal number roughly? Probably a few hundred. I grew up in Sackville, Nova Scotia. Our graduating class was probably less than 200 people. So you said there that he's, I feel like I've t taken it into a court. You said quite clearly in yeah, paragraph sad. one. You, that he said that he's supposed to represent the people and the people are 100. So will he be, do well, let's assume there's 100 of them. Will he be also talking about the other 99 sex lives? No, I don't think he was going into detail about it, but he wanted to announce it. It was part well, of not the his point. big speech. That's not the point. I'm saying, will the other 99 people and their sex lives be covered in his speech? No, but I don't really know where you're going with that. Well, that's my point. If he's a, if, if his mission, his mm -hmm. whole reason for this speech is apparently to represent the people. Yes. Why is he focusing on his sex life if he isn't focusing on the other 99? Well, I think that's the point is uh, the school said that him coming out is um, they, they refer to his sexuality as personal matters of a sexual nature and that the topics that topic is not appropriate for a speech I totally agree at a with graduation I totally agree ceremony. With it's like if he had, I don't know, just if he had some sort of vendetta against racism and he just said, hi, I'm really glad that the class has done well. Just want to use this forum as well to say that uh, black people are people too. You know, mm -hmm. great point. And I, I'm all for pro-equal rights, but totally irrelevant. Yeah. So how do you feel about it? Um, at first I thought, I was like, oh, he wants, I just don't know that it's the appropriate time to say it. 
because not everyone gets a chance to speak. It's not like everyone gets to go up there, yeah, accept exactly. the diploma, and have a few words, and then that's your chance to say something very personal. Yeah. So if you're speaking sort of representing the class and you put in a little personal agenda message, maybe someone else in that class would have liked to have said the same thing or something totally different. I yeah. don't know, right? So uh, but it's interesting because it's caused such an uproar over, oh, you know, it's free, you're, it's free speech, but it's not. See, for what I would have done if I was him, I would have heavily Im implied it and created comedy by singing the speech with a sequined gown on. <laughs> then what, you've win-win there. What I would have done, actually, if I were this kid, was I wouldn't have written it into the speech I submitted yeah, exactly. to the school. I would have just done it. Like your radio shows. Yep. You say what's coming up, you never stick to it. Nope, you I make thing. it all up. Yeah. And I don't tell anyone in advance. And Speaking it, of which, did you want to tell these think, listeners that you're a homosexual? <laughs> nope, that is not my message. <laughs> but I, and then when they told him to take it out and he refused, I thought, I actually think if I were him and I was really set on it, mm. I would have been like, sure, I'll take it out. Yeah, and, and then, then you just, it. it's like somebody saying, don't swear yeah. on stage. And then accidentally you get so excited, you drop a little four letter word, yeah. right? And what are they going to do? Expel you? You graduated. Well, in that moment, what can they do, right? Yeah, pay. Yeah. What did the listeners say? Have uh, we had any texts in? Someone said they knew someone who came out six months ago. The response from friends and family was very tough. And he ended his own life. But I don't know that that's in the same context as what we're talking about. No? In terms of a valedictorian speech. No, it's terrible. But that us. it can, I, I suppose, meaning that not everyone has a supportive network around them for such things. Um, this story made me sad. There is a teen in foster care. Uh, this is also in Colorado. Wow, Colorado is a lot of teens that are doing things that make news. Um, she's 19 years old, Natalie Carson. She's been in foster care, now is aged out of foster care. She put up a Craigslist ad asking for a family that she could rent for her birthday. <laughs> So she said that she finally wants to have a happy birthday after now aging out of foster care, that she um, had been in abusive homes for mm. much of her young life and um, basically turned 18, took a bus to Westminster, Colorado, and then was homeless. She, uh, although it's done well for herself, a, a youth shelter has helped her earn her GED. She's now studying computer sciences at college while also working as a grocery clerk. So she's about to celebrate her 20th birthday on June 10th and inspired by a story of a girl in California who did something similar. And I remember the story from about a year ago. Mm. California girl who uh, didn't have a family put up an ad asking if somebody might um, celebrate a, a holiday with her. So she was inspired by that story. So she posted on Craigslist and asking and asked if somebody might um, be willing to adopt her for a day and make her feel really special for her 20th birthday. And I thought this was very sweet. She offered to pay $8 an hour for someone to do that. Oh. Isn't that sad? It's really bleak, yeah. But, and she said, I just want one day uh, that I can feel important and special and like I matter even if I don't. Oh. But, so her, obviously her ad made the New York Daily News, which is where I got the story and a lot of other news sites. And she's received um, hundreds of responses from around the world, including some families who are offering to fly her out, give her lavish gifts. Mm. I don't think the gifts part is is the most important. I think it's that she just wants to feel like somebody cares. Exactly. I would have um, done it for $7 an hour. <laughs> Vinny White. It's the heart of gold. <laughs> I would have stolen something from the house. I you would probably have done it. Yeah. would have. 
But, you know, isn't that, um, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing about social media. I guess it's good because she was able to reach out, but it makes me sad that this is where somebody's sitting there and just never had anyone care about them and is going online. Yeah, it's both of those things. It reflects the vacuousness of today's society and the easy disposability of us and assets, even friends. Even, yes. What's coming up on your show? Nothing as deep as what I just said. Uh, I got my motorcycle license today. Good for you. I have mine. Okay, do I get just, I don't know, 10 <laughs> seconds, just 10 of glory before we move on to you? Not even 10. I'll have four. Not even. Let's try that sentence again. Are you getting a motorcycle? No, hang on. I'm still okay. going to try it again. We're going to rerun it. I've got my motorcycle license today. That's great. Say congratulations. Congratulations. For God's sake, woman. Well, I don't know. I don't normally congratulate people when they get their license. It was pissing good. down with rain for seven hours and nearly died of cold. Well, they should have cancelled it. That is very dangerous. Brilliant. Are you getting a motorcycle? Uh, I might do. Oh, that's fun. Have you got one? Uh, no, I had a Vespa for many years. Mm. And um, so I have a motorcycle license, but I, if you put me on a motorcycle, I would not know what I was doing. Have you got the M? I guess so. Yeah. Sure. Well, be careful on the roads if you're seeing any motorcycles, especially someone who might be Vinnie White who just got his motorcycle license. So I probably won't be here next week, but oh, I'll try. <laughs> Vinnie White's coming up next. Paychen.com is the website. And uh, next Sunday, the show starts at 7 p.m. Hoping you'll tune in and join me. Have a great, uh, have a great night, everyone.